Welcome back to the Exploring Growth Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Today, I had the honor to sit down with a veteran sales professional, Dr. John Riggs. Buckle up. All right. Welcome, Dr. Riggs. Well, hey, Lee. Thanks. All right. Let me introduce you real quick to the audience, um, and then we'll jump into our conversation. We've got a lot we've been talking about behind the scenes that I wanted to bring it here, uh, scale it up in front of a bunch of people who are looking for you know practical wisdom and uh, so, you know, meet, meet Dr. Riggs. Um, I've, I'm pleased to introduce him uh, to the podcast. He's a colleague and all around great guy. Uh, <laughs> Dr. Riggs has accomplished some pretty amazing things in his career. Uh, he's been director of sales for the U.S. and Puerto Rico divisions of critical care medicine, held the position of uh, global vice president of contracting and pricing integrity for a biotech firm. He's worked with everything from startups, small startups, to global Fortune 200 companies and has represented numerous sectors, uh, including pharmaceutical, biotechnology, property management, real estate, tax accounting, even some federal and state government segments. Um, so he's really done a lot of work and seen a lot of things um, at a lot of levels. Currently, he's the executive director of the Centurion Sales Program at Stetson University and also an outside consultant to multiple rapidly growing companies. So Dr. Riggs, welcome to the podcast. Lee, it's great, great to be with you. It's, this is gonna be fun, a lot of fun format. I know we've had some projects together over the years and a lot of a lot of fun things to talk about. So thanks for having me, this, this is gonna be great. Yeah, most definitely. Uh, I mean, I've, I've, we've had a lot of conversations um, about marketing and sales and growth in general. I mean, we worked on a couple of projects and we've had the time to you know spend some time together and get to know each other a little bit of how our how we think you know is a, a very much right. aligned which has been really cool um and you know you have you have a background that's you know unique to mine in that you spent a lot of time enterprise level um of the big companies a lot of bureaucracy right. a lot of you know protocol um a lot of things that I've dealt with in a small capacity in my career but I generally like to keep it around the small to mid size, you know, where you can kind of touch and feel everything. Uh, yeah. So I, so I value your, your input a lot um, because the ideas you bring are, you know, it's kind of like, okay, yeah, I see, I see what you have to say, Lee. Now let me up that with this other, you know, perspective because <laughs> it doesn't work like that exactly always in the world, you know? Um, but, you know, so yeah, I'm glad to, glad to be here and, and chatting with you. So if you would give a quick, uh, like just a brief background on, kind of how you got to where you are and what you're doing. So, you know, yeah. everyone who's listening has context to the ideas you'll, sh you'll share. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting what, what I'm doing now versus if I think back, it's one of those, you know, when you talk to a lot of people, you never, you never really have that path fully defined. Mm -hmm. It's just kind of opportunities happening. You look back after 35 years and this is, this is where I'm at. Um, my, if I just, talk background wise when i was in my undergrad everything was in high health sciences background i worked on ambulances i was a licensed ems provider for quite some time and that's kind of how i got interested really into the healthcare side of things and then uh, met who is now my wife after 32 years and she was a student at uf we were working at a grocery store and she said you got to get a college degree and get out of the back of that ambulance uh, it's uh one it's the best job in the world by the way it's probably my most favorite job I've ever had. Um, and it probably framed me and formed me more than any of my undergrad, graduate or advanced degrees. It's just it's it's interesting how people kind of go back to that, and how it forms you. But, yeah, I started as a salesperson uh, in the 
late 80s, like 90, 89, 90 timeframe working for a pharmaceutical company. I fought it the whole way. I have to tell you during the interview, it's, it was, I, you know, I was working in an ER and in an ambulance. And the idea was I'm not a, there's no way that's going on my business card. Just had this visceral response to the profession. Yeah. You know, and I had a person that was a lot smarter than me that was interviewing me at the time. And um, it was one of the interesting, most interesting stories ever when I think it got to the point to where I was almost sensed that the job was being offered. And I was a young guy <laughs> working in a, you know, ambulance system. Yeah. And uh, I said, sales, do I have to have that on my business card? And I think he had a little bit of frustration. I've told the story before and he closed the portfolio, had my resume in it. He kind of pushed back from his chair and he said, we've got to talk. <laughs> and he brought an analogy forward that changed me. And the analogy was I had actually just worked a 24 hour shift on the ambulance. So I, was, I uh-huh. think, as I recall, I think I was probably still in my uniform. And he said to me, you know, what's a normal ambulance call? What's a normal thing you do? And I said, well, it's, that's the beauty of it. It's spontaneous. You don't know, you know, what's <laughs> happening, but he said, just generally medically. I, and I think I said something like chest pain or, you know, a heart attack or something like that. And he said, do you ever respond to a 911 call and they don't want to go to the hospital? And as, as unfortunate as it sounds, I, yeah, it happens. They, you do, they do refuse care. And I get that, you know, you can't force people, nor would you ever do that. But yeah, you can show them everything you want to show them on the heart monitor, explain everything, but uh, that doesn't sink in. You know, it was always the, no, it's not chest pain. It was a, a spicy meal I had last yeah. night when I've got them on a heart monitor. So I knew kind of a little bit where he was going with that, but he was, what he was sharing with me is, is basically where it came down to is you're selling all the time. Cause where he went with that story was, well, did you, do you ever leave anybody there at home and don't take them? And I hadn't been on the streets that much, but a couple of years maybe. And I said, no, I don't know. We, they usually always go with us. And I saw kind of quickly where he was going. And he said, so you're telling me people say they don't want to go. Then they end up all going, yeah. you know, wanting to go and get in help. So help me understand that a little bit. And then it dawned <laughs> on me about, you know, you're selling all the time and it wasn't necessarily, I was selling the, Hey, look at the heart monitor. This is getting ready to be bad medically. It was more trying to identify something in their environment, maybe the house, maybe a family member, something to try to appeal to that, not only the the head side, but the heart side, as we always talk about. And, you know, wouldn't it be great to be back for Christmas with whatever mm-hmm. family? And, you know, some people say, well, man, is that manipulative? Mm-hmm. Well, no, I trying to bring value to them, <laughs> if you mm-hmm. want to think of it that way. So, yeah, so I did that and started pharmaceuticals. I worked all in sales and then became a sales trainer and then a sales manager and a director just kind of took that path, moved around a lot, Mm -hmm. um, loved every second of it. And then just, I don't know, my most favorite job Lee was early on as a sales trainer. I think that was my most favorite job ever and kind of got the teaching bug. I think at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember saying, I'm going to teach one day, one day I'm going to have a, you know, be a doctor and do that. And uh, that's what happened. So, yeah, I've been in academia now. Uh, I want to say almost getting close to 10 years, just under 10 years. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. And then ended up at Stetson. So it's it's been a fun ride. And, you know, you would think somebody would, would be called a medical or a STEM type background. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, you've got to have a big personality to be in sales and all of that. And a lot of that, I think, is true. But yeah. um, we're seeing everybody come into the profession now, which is really cool, especially the young people at the university. It's funny. You've been in academia for 10 years and they still haven't converted you. You're still an outsider. <laughs> we don't publicly talk about it. I haven't yeah, <laughs> taken in all the all the academic Kool-Aid, so to speak. Yeah. But um, I, I really appreciate it. What's interesting is I have the opportunity. And this is kind of something that people that 
I was not familiar with academia in a pure sense until mm -hmm. I really started pursuing my doctoral degree. And I realized really quickly having that practical experience and being coached by somebody on my dissertation committee to say, you know, there's, you can go pure research. Mm -hmm. And if you're enjoy that and have a lot of gifts and skills in that, you can do that. Or you can go more towards the practical side, towards the practitioner. I'm, I'm what they call uh, in academic terms, a professor of practice. So mm -hmm. I have a teaching load. I teach in classes. And then I also uh, have the opportunity to be the executive director uh, of this uh, academic program, which is the Centurion sales program. So I teach a little bit lighter teaching load than a, than a traditional academic. So kind of one foot in each side of it. And I like to do, yeah. I like to keep a foot in the real world yeah, and definitely. also be able to lay that against the academic training that I have. So it's a, it's perfect for me yeah, and I, I absolutely love it. I think it. it's a great spot to be in, honestly. And, um, you know, there's a lot of advantages there. I think you, you have credibility on both sides when you're in the real yeah. world. They get to see the educational side of it or the teaching side of it. And when you're in the academic world, obviously, they're, they're always, you know, pining for what's really happening out there. You know, and so when you're out there, you can say, well, you know, I was out there last week and uh, this is kind of what's happening in the field. So yeah. you know, there's a lot, you know, and I'd, I'd love to let's drill down on that a little bit because okay, we've talked about this in that I really think that the program that you're building at Stetson, um, this sales major program where a student could come in and get a major in sales, yeah. I think is kind of a new idea to a lot of people. They, they may not know that this, this exists. Um, but what I find immensely valuable with it and something I'm thinking about for my kids as they're coming up and, you know, thinking about college is that, you know, to this point of everyone is selling, everyone's always selling, you're selling your spouse right. on, you know, dinner, you're, you know, you're, you're, it doesn't yeah. matter what it is. You're always talking and, you know, yeah working with people and building relationships in unique ways and sales as a part of that. Um, and it's not always the kind of slimy used car salesman kind of you yeah, know, persona no. that people give it. Um, there's a lot of merit and a lot of professionalism to it and it moves the economy. And I think that yeah. especially today in light of all the decentralized um, everything and you have uh, what this new kind of concept that I'm, I'm kind of noodling on, is this idea of decentralized work, right? You have the great resignation that they're calling it and people leaving these full-time jobs. And really mm -hmm. the way I see it is they're, they're going to pursue more work that they're passionate about, stuff that they care about. They, they realize they can live on less than they want to, you know, it's getting harder these days than before, but you know, they can do freelance work, right? So yeah. as you're doing freelance work and you're potentially doing, you know, maybe like sort of small business type of uh, environment you're living in, you really have to know how to sell, whether you're selling e-commerce online or you're selling in person at a you know farmer's market or you know what whatever it may be, or if you're selling B2B to a large corporation. You have to know how to sell what it is that you're the craft that you're producing or yeah. the service that you're selling. And so to this program, I think the the immense value that it brings to students coming through Stetson and through other schools that offer these separate programs is that you can be a biology major. And you can yeah. also have sales as a minor or some part of your curriculum. And to think that, yeah. um, and I mean, this goes to the the founder, um, is Leo Fernandez, I think is. His yeah, name. Mr. Leo Fernandez, yes. Yeah, and I'd love for you to talk about him. Like, he, he has this vision that you guys share that is, yeah. that is unbelievable where every, you know, and it's it's kind of audacious, but not really when you stop to think about the, the impact that every student that comes through Stetson 
should have some kind of formal or informal training on what it means to sell because you're going to have to sell something, right? If you are a creative writing major, which is a great major in my opinion, because there's a lot of content copywriting that needs to be done, right? If you're going to go out and sell that as a service on Upwork, or you're going to go be, you know, uh, hired at an agency, you got to know how to sell yourself to the job, yourself to the, you know, and on and on and we go. And so I think there's a, there's an immense value that's there for these students that they may, I think maybe some of them get it. Maybe a lot of them don't fully understand until they're going to get out in the real world and see, oh, wow, I'm glad I can actually think for myself in this way. You know, so this, this emphasis on sales and how it's shaping someone's professional life. I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as it relates to the vision you have for that program. Yeah. So you mentioned Mr. Fernandez, Leo Fernandez, you know, this was a vision of his, uh, as a, he was a graduate of Stetson and, um, I was not affiliated with Stetson. I was at another location, but the, the, at the time, the Dean that was there was presented with this idea and these programs do exist. They're out there and there's some fantastic programs. We have a lot of great colleagues at a lot of other universities and, and programs. What's a, what's a little bit unique about what we do is, is it was just not going to be a, um, what would you like a, a trade school kind of thing or something like that. You, it wouldn't make sense to do that when you affiliate it with a degree granting institution. So a lot of great schools offer certificates and things like that. Stetson didn't want that, wanted it as a degree, like Mm -hmm. what you said. So the, what's so interesting is, and what I think is the brilliance of the vision of Mr. Fernandez, and it just resonated heavily with me when uh, I was invited to come in and set this thing up with other colleagues is he uses the term enabling. It's an, this is the, you you need the, it's an enabler. Right. So whether you're studying, as you said, you, I don't, it doesn't matter if it's my background was all in anatomy physiology and you know, here I am, we have, you know, music majors in the business school, every major there is finance, management, accounting, all of that. The argument that we make is this skill set is an enabling set of skills to be the best one of those or at that, whatever that is you choose to do. So we position it Mm -hmm. as a lot of double majors Mm -hmm. uh, in the business school. And if they're outside, like you were saying, a biology major or something, we have them take the minor. And what happens is, is I will say, you know, in the series of classes that they have to take, that's in the curriculum, the first class is always the most interesting because they come with the perceptions, much like myself. I don't want a business, you know, After about two, three weeks, you see something happen. Mm -hmm. And it's one, most of them, it's this is actually kind of fun. There's a lot of pressure and stuff, but it's fun because most of us are here texting and that type of thing, even adults alike. It's not just in college age. And now they start seeing the impact. But then what happens is you start seeing the employment opportunities that are so widely varied. It's not, you know, any particular industry, any particular thing, but now they've, enabled themselves with this skill set to be far more effective, whether there's just an idea, they're trying to get out of the stack of 400 resumes into the stack of five. They're able to demonstrate it with these skills. So it's, it's the most fun thing to watch. We just came from an incredible competition out in Oklahoma, Oklahoma city. And these, watching the students just do so well at that Mm -hmm. and watching the industry respond to the students from other schools as well that compete. And it, it is just a, when do you graduate? When do you graduate? When do you graduate? They want to just hire them all. It's it's, it's yeah, really cool. It to watch. Really, it's fun to be a part it of. It is really cool. And, um, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking, um, I just had Todd Hockenberry on the podcast yeah. who you introduced me to, 
And I was talking about you on that podcast saying <laughs> all three of us need to get together and have a round table on this yeah. whole sales and marketing, where is it going kind of conversation? Because I think it'd be a really yeah. interesting conversation. But it made me think of, you know, this enabler um, kind of uh, mindset, right? Like, I yeah. think, and I'm kind of being selfish here a little bit because uh, th- my perspective, but out in the real world, right, after academia, you're out there um, trying to grow revenue. You're out there trying to, um, you know, grow your career and grow personally. Um, it just makes so much sense at this point for a marketer to also have a sales degree, right? Mm-hmm. Or to have some formal training. Because as Todd yeah. and I were talking, I think the most dangerous person in marketing is someone with a sales background. Yeah. At, at, you know, current day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can remember in industry getting the opportunity to interact with some really really skilled marketers mm-hmm. and the understanding of it. And as we all see, and you see it all over the place, mm-hmm. you and I are probably not talking about anything new. It's, you know, the silos between marketing and sales and, and things like that. But if I learned one thing back in my ambulance days, it's very similar to the marketing and sales analogy in my view. And that was, I'm old enough to where back in the day, it wasn't a separated service, meaning you were either medical or you were like fire. Yeah. You were one or the yeah. other firefighter or yeah, whatever. Right. And then they, somebody got the broad idea and said, well, wait a minute, <laughs> this is a mandatory cross training. Yeah. I don't know where we're going and I'd love to hear Todd's perspective. Yeah. So let's set that three way yeah. discussion up. But I just feel like it's going to come together into something else to where it's almost expected that you have to be at both. Mm-hmm. So like the slam dunk is right now in our current setting, if you double major yeah. <laughs> as a first student yes. in marketing and sales. So you get, you're not a mile wide and an inch deep yes. on anything. You have some depth in both very important. And you and I experienced that working together on projects yeah. on, you know, how they're both running parallel at certain times. The marketing lift is a little heavier and the sales lift is a little less. Yeah. And, and you taught me that. And as I watch that unfold and you just kind of see that seamless, it's not a stop handed off to sales kind of That's thing. Right. This is a, to, we're walking together. And that's what's so much fun. We were working together on projects because it don't, I see it clearly of how those two work in parallel, but one, you know, maybe one's more emphasized than the other during stages of the process. It's true. And I'm starting to see companies, uh, you know, a lot of, I follow a lot of SaaS companies and marketing agencies and consultants that consult with SaaS because it's such a big industry right now. Um, But I'm starting to see these companies that, that are trying new things. Right. And, they may have been doing mm-hmm. it for a while. It's just surfacing on LinkedIn and social platforms where I'm following them. But, you know, their their sort of um, methodology is to either if, if everyone can physically be in the same room, that's great. But virtually it becomes a little bit more of a challenge. But this whole idea that marketing sales sit side by side and especially yeah. at a smaller company where they can actually um, glean wisdom from sales calls like a marketer is there doing their job, but they're listening to a sales call at the same time. Yeah. I mean, that that's where we're going, right? And so to me, yeah. I feel like from uh we reverse engineer this back into the sales program and we're formalizing it as an educational touch point for the students, they don't they're not really gonna have a a pulse on what's happening, right? They're looking to the professors, they're looking at the programs at that stage yeah. in their life. Um and so it's it's almost like um we have to um you know, we have to speed up the the transition of knowledge to them. And, and and so I think as time goes on, it's about putting this idea in front of them more frequently and saying, 
you know, marketing and sales are not so far apart anymore. They're much closer together, if not becoming almost one and the same. And, mm-hmm. and as they're doing that, you guys really should be paying attention to this. And, and so that really kind of bridges to this other idea that I've been playing around with. And I'd love to get your, your feedback on it and that, you know, with social platforms, especially, um, yep. and how things are really kind of being more community driven in the academic world, it seems like, and maybe you guys are already doing this, right. But it seems like to me, you have to almost have a parallel or, and, and at some points intersection of, um, real world, uh, like a pulse on what's happening in the real world, uh, as mm-hmm. an example or, or, um, you know, real life, real time case study of what you're learning. Right. So I, I mentioned yeah. to Todd, I said, if I could go and, you know, take over one of the marketing programs, or whatever, I probably would just say, okay, we're here. Here's like the five pillars that you really need to know about marketing, right? You know, market product market fit, you know, your buyer, uh, you know, your target audience, these kind of things. And that's it. That's all we're going to teach you. Now, all we're going to do is bring in currently who's leading the conversation on LinkedIn as it, as it revolves around B2B SaaS marketing. We're going to bring them in, ask them questions, and they're going to teach us stuff. Next week, we're going to have someone else in, right? Um, You know, and I'm obviously, you know, leaning towards a podcast format there, but like, I think that'd be yeah. so, so enriching for, for them to really see how it's, you know, it's almost like immersing them in it and teaching yeah. them like, Hey, you got to be immersed in this conversation in order to really continue your education postgraduate. Yeah. It's interesting you bring that up. The, there is a term that in Stetson has this, uh, where there's a requirement and the term is experiential learning. Yeah. Okay. So they, you know, they have to do an experiential, but what you just outlined would be the, you know, that would be. I, so ideal, the epitome yeah. of it, um, of an experiential learning thing, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a lot of times it's internships or different things. You know, we go to these competitions, mm-hmm. students can mm-hmm. qualify for experiential learning because, you know, as this recent trip, as, as kind of obvious as it sounds to many of us, especially those of us that were 100% travel, you know, not only is it what you're doing at the competition and what you're learning, you're meeting with executives of a corporation, et cetera. But the experiential side, we sometimes downplay because we always think academically, but we got to get home and there's flight delays and cancellations and sitting in hotels. And how do I get, you know, and you got to just work out life. And how do I do that? And then, oh, by the way, I'm getting back at one, two in the morning and I've got appointments at seven in the morning with clients. So that what you just described, Lee, would be that would be a really interesting thing to operationalize And, and, you know. I also firmly believe I'm, I'm not probably as deep in the academic side as some of my colleagues because I'm a prior, you know, previous corporate person yeah. and I've only been in it, you know, less than 10 years. But the face of what education is now, especially mm-hmm. at the college level, it, I think it has to change. Yeah. It's got to change to meet those needs of what's going on, you know, and I the experiential learning things, actually intentionally changing what goes on in a classroom, which we're trying really hard to do in our program yeah. with, for example, just hours upon hours of simulations and recorded role yeah. plays and give them that instant feedback, bringing people like yourself yeah. in and Todd, he was a wonderful adjunct for yeah. us, just did great things for us when he was adjuncting there, when we had some opportunity for that and to get feedback from real world people. Right. Yeah. I'm still, I'm still their professor, although, sure you know, that sometimes gets discounted of my, you know, over a couple of decades yeah. of doing it. I'm still Dr. Riggs. still the one. But when Lee is sitting there, yeah, right. when Lee's telling them, that's a different thing. And, and I think we do that. We do it 
okay, I think, at the universities and especially at Stetson. But what you just said would be a, a groundbreaking thing to intentionally have experiential learning built into. Well, I think it'd be a degree. lot of fun for the people that are brought in too, yeah. because, you know, we always want yeah. to tell everybody what we know, you know, um, and have yeah. and actually I get people that get value from it. Um, yeah. You know, so yeah, I think that'd be really cool. Anyways, I, I'll make a note of that and maybe, you know, <laughs> send it off somewhere, <laughs> file, file 13. Um, but, but the ultimate thing that you raised a moment ago, I think is the key. That's the salient point. Is, is this coordination with what is typically two separate disciplines, sales and marketing. And, and how do those go together without, you know, you could take marketing as a university person at a, and never at all have one exposure to what selling is. Yes. That to me is wrong. I don't know how that could even happen. Yeah. Well, in, in the current state of thinking now that, you know, it's, we're there, right? Um, I think yeah. it seems kind of absurd, but I think it, it was lost on the previous generations of college graduates. Yeah. Uh, but now, you know, it got me thinking like, really, the, the the marketing program, you know, could really take a lot of notes from what you guys are doing in sales because it, it's, I would say, a close second, but definitely a second to sales as far as enabling careers. Um, I think yeah. being able to understand how people think why people buy, you know, just some, some, uh, some of these major tenets of how, you know, niche communities operate, like those kind of things that are more probably psychological or, or maybe behavioral economic type of uh, thinking. Yeah. I think those type of things are, are very important for all careers to, to understand because the bottom line is you're going to, if you're going to work for a company, if you're going to have your own company, you got to know how to sell. You got to know, you got to learn marketing, you got to learn all this stuff. Right. But if you're going to work mm -hmm. for a company, you may not be doing those roles in particularly, but at any point, at any place in your organization, you're going to touch sales and marketing and probably marketing more than sales because you're yep. dealing with the product, you're dealing with uh, delivering the product, you know, there's marketing all the way through that organization. Yeah. Uh, you know, so it's almost like there needs to be some kind of marketing enabled um, program or track you know, that people could choose as well. It seems to me that that would add a lot of value to, um, to people, not only entrepreneurs, like people get out of school and start their own thing, but, but also for employees, because it really changes yeah. the way they approach their job. Yeah, it does. And, you know, outside of just, you know, the university stuff, I think back to my career and I don't know, I'd have to look it up. I probably should know this, but, you know, I remember the day when, at large corporations, for example, you never had a marketing officer sitting at the decision table, like in the C-suite, mm -hmm. right? And now, you know, now you have there's chief marketing officers or CMOs That's and right. stuff. In some organizations, uh, right before I left my and went into academia, there was a lot of heavy discussion at my previous company about the CSO, the chief sales officer in there. So much so there was always the, always the debate, yeah. you know, which was fun to watch in big companies, yeah. you know, well, who reports to who, Yeah, right. you know, you're <laughs> under this, you get into these, into these battles. And yeah. to me, it was like, let's, we got to serve clients and customers right. in the product line and what we have. We'll figure out titles later. I don't we care. Report to the customer. But, but that's, that's yeah. right. You know, that's the, you know, who is it that fires the CEO of a company? I don't know the quote where it comes yeah. from, but uh, the answer is the customer. Definitely. That's who fires the seat. Right. So you, you were starting to see this even in large organizations and others, and this has been around for a while. So I'm sure some of your listeners or subscribers would, you know, agree that, hey, this is nothing new. But 
but from actually executing it and taking that leap to say, we're going to have, you know, senior decision makers at both in there, yeah. you're not seeing it as much uh, with the sales, but the chief marketing position is, is pretty there. Yeah. You'll see chief revenue yeah. officer. They're, and some they're of that. now starting to play around with those roles. And I've seen yeah. lately that, you know, the chief growth officer is one that yeah. is preceding the CMO, um, yeah. as a place to aspire to, I guess. Uh, and it does make sense the way they lay it out. It's like, kind of go back to the sales background type of thing. Like you're, you're really being yeah. um, a CEO in growth in just focused on growth. You know, you're not dealing with yeah. putting out fires across the, the, the company. So I get that. Um, but, but, but there's a lot of made up titles out there too. I mean, yeah. and, and marketers are the, best the at chief, making them up. <laughs> the chief growth officer, when you said that, I mean, I've, I've heard that before. And if I was still in the industry, you and I have met, that would be ideal for me. I would apply yeah. right yeah. away at six ten and 300 pounds. Yeah. Perfect job for me. <laughs> that's great. I think I could lead an organization just off of physical stature. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, being hey, being tall has its benefits. And by the way, if anyone listening ever meets John in person, you will see <laughs> that you will definitely be shorter than him. <laughs> Some, yeah, yeah. No, it is. It's, you got to be differentiated somehow. So yeah, I can't hide. Yeah, you, you got I'm that a- one out of the gate. Well, you know, so as we're kind of moving towards wrapping this up, let me, let's talk, let's maybe think about our audience who's listening. If they've made it through all the academic talk, uh, you know, to give them some real, real value. Let's, let's talk more pragmatically about out being out in the real world. You know, you work with a lot of, um, you know, all kinds of different size companies, but you work with a lot of companies that are in growth mode and you come in and, talk, you know, you, you help them with leadership, you've helped them with, you know, a lot of the executive level stuff, but and a lot of times you're working on the sales team as well. Yeah. Um, you know, what are the things that you're seeing out there right now that, that businesses are struggling with when it comes to growth in, you know, broadly speaking, um, and maybe even sales specific since we were heavy on the sales topic today. Yeah. Well, you know, the, everything's about timing and what you're dealing with currently. Yeah. And, you know, everybody, you, it's the real thing coming back now from everything that we dealt with with COVID. That's the big mm-hmm. discussion right now. Um, you know, getting back not only just out in the field, but getting contact back with clients. Mm-hmm. And then actually a lot of discussion and evaluation inside companies. It taught us a lot as far as selling and selling skills and doing things remotely. Uh, on platforms like this or Zoom or whatever it is that you're using. But I had an interesting comment shared with me, actually with a pretty heavy employer um, of salespeople that said they're actually having to retrain people to get back into the comfort zone of being back face to face. People have gotten so comfortable remotely and using that effectively, by the way, Mm but realizing that now the face-to-face conversations are requiring some development. So some of the work that I've been doing with some people and organizations is just that getting back in face-to-face honing those skills Mm -hmm. and, and being able to do it. So I, I, that's a big one right now. That's just kind of a hot topic. I think that obviously is going to be short lived because we're going to get on the other side of this. Uh, But that's what it is. And, right now. And the other part of it too is, and learning from a lot that I learned from you recently in a a project that you and I worked on together, is people are continuing to leverage both inbound and outbound marketing, Mm -hmm. but inbound marketing especially. How do I leverage that? Because I don't firmly, I my opinion, I just don't believe what would be that traditional sales team, that traditional salesperson is, is leveraging those 
tools Definitely with not. a skilled marketer. Definitely. I just don't think it's being leveraged. Right. So yeah, hey, work on it, do your marketing, tell us what the messaging is, let us go do the messaging. But to, to in a sophisticated manner to leverage the value of inbound marketing, especially, mm -hmm. I think that's a big delta right now. And, um, you know, we're and me self-included are, are doing everything I can to stay up with things in order to be effective and, and help people, because it's usually either one or the other, Lee. Yeah. And I think that's a big one right now. So it's the getting back face to face, but leveraging everything that a good solid inbound marketing and strategy can do for you. Most definitely. Salespeople aren't skilled yep. at that. And on the first one, I think what's great about what we had to go through when it comes to sales is that these organizations that do require that in-person type of touch point and mm -hmm. they can't do everything virtually, what they've done is picked up a vir that virtual skill, right? So if yeah. companies are smart, they will embed that now, um, you know, from a protocol standpoint or, or a system standpoint into their sales training and their sales force to say, okay, we have aspects of our, what we're doing are virtual and there are aspects of what we're doing that are touch, actual high touch, whether it's at a trade show or field sales or whatever, whatever it may be. And here's how we're going to integrate those together because now, and now we can be super solid, mm -hmm. super strong and compete, uh, you know, really well in the market against someone who may be saying, well, you know, my guys, they, they just really don't like to get on that Zoom. So we're gonna we're going back to field sales and here we go, you know? I mean, the the the, the buyer, we're all buyers, right? We're all becoming yep. much more sophisticated at light speed. And so we're fooling ourselves to think that the buyer is gonna stay as slow as we want them to stay, right? They're just mm -hmm. not. So now that mm -hmm. they have that trick in their bag, you know, I think it's to be leveraged. And so, you know, I think it's awesome that you're helping people to to kind of re re get connected to the real world of, um, you know, face to face because it's it is awkward. Like we're having these interactions now at conferences and different places, and yeah. and it's like, you know, my my initial thought is, should I shake your hand? <laughs> yeah, you know? right. So, all the yeah, and all it, that it all stuff plays out, right? And so it can make it a little yeah. awkward. Yeah. You know, one of the trends, just to kind of put a final thought on that when you're saying it, what I'm a couple of people I've been working with organizations and such outside the university, they, you know, when you're the old school, fill in the pipeline, getting leads mm -hmm. and, you know, those kinds of things that you that you hear, what kind of a a standard that's in place now, people were doing it before, but I think it's more prominent now is whether it's the the SDRs, the sales development reps trying to get leads and do those things. There's a level of interest and stuff. Now it's almost like Zoom or whatever platform they use, but some type of virtual platform is almost the qualifier before they can earn the face-to-face -face meeting. And a lot of companies are using it as a qualifier before they're going to use have you know get the cost and expense of flying someone okay. you know across country to meet with a client. Okay. So it, it's almost like a have to do now yeah. at some companies, not all the context and industries yeah. are different, but SDR, get the phone call, get the interest, make the phone call, do things. The next step is the virtual call. Then that allows mm -hmm. me to get the personal meeting. So I think anywhere along that spectrum, if you're unskilled at any of that as a salesperson, which is where we're trying to prepare our students is to say whatever avenue they run into at whatever industry they go to or whatever they do, they're going to be able to do any one of those, yeah. all of them, one of them, whatever. They need to know all of it. Yeah, and I think right. that's an eye opener for me now that we're, you know, kind of all back face to face now. Yeah. And I think a key to that too, is being um, authentic and making that experience personalized. Right. So yeah. 
I've seen people say they're like, I don't care. Now that we're getting back to life as normal, I'm getting on a plane. I'm going to see the person and I'm going to, yeah. you know, put flesh to flesh. Right. Okay. That's great. And, and I, you know, I love that for you because the sentiment there is right, but the practice might put you out of business because, or, or at least, you know, lower your market share because the other company that is being smart about how to adopt the virtual part, like you're saying, let's, let's, let, let's yeah. use that as our qualifier. And if they take it one step further, which I feel like where everything's going, because, you know, now we're, we're all meeting from our home. So the work from home, you know, dressed down a little bit, everybody, you know, everybody's like, feel like they're part of everyone's home, <laughs> you know, to some degree. Yeah. So it's more personalized. Yeah. That's sort of what's come out of this. So if a company can say, okay, you know what? We see tactically that we can use this as a qualifier, qualifying point to just gauge interest so we don't spend a bunch of time on planes. Okay. But then when we do it, we're going to be intentional about that conversation and say, Hey, you know, um, we did some research on your company, you know, and here's what we think, um, where basically where we could slot you or we think you would fit. You tell us the problems Mm. you have and let's, let's start the front end part of that discovery or sales process on a 15 minute zoom call. If you know your audience, you know that's what they want to do. Some of them may not want to do that, right? It's not there's not a one size fits yeah. all here. But the companies that decide to do that, I think, are going to win big because their competitors are not going to realize how to how to insert the new tools and stay with how this what the new form of sales looks yeah. like. It's not it's yeah. not how it used to look pre twenty twenty. Yeah, no, and you know the old, and I say old because I'm I'm there. I was in that early on part, and I, you know, when you talk about so what skills are required necessary to make you highly successful at sales? There's a huge debate. If somebody wants to go academic, you can pull up taxonomies of yeah, right. hundreds of things. You know, this difference between being virtual and being in person and that skill set and stuff. There's an old saying. I don't. Uh, I think me and you and I may have talked about it before, but you know, there's there's two ways to brighten a room. If anybody's heard that old saying is two ways. What are the two ways that you brighten a room? Um, And it's when you walk in or when you walk out. Uh, And I don't know where that originated from, but I never forgot that. So, you know, that's easy to do in person to be able to gauge that. But how do you do that in a virtual setting, you know, and, and to be able to do it? So, you know, I always challenge our students to to say, you know, don't rely so heavily on your personality and everything that's going on to be effective because there's a couple other elements that you got to have in there. And um, if you're just, uh, we used to call the folks that were so strong at relationships and everything else, which is a very necessary yeah. skill, but if that's all you've got, then you're nothing more than a professional visitor. Um, well, and you have to be able to, to leverage that. So, yeah, so, you know, so th- this sort of like uh, takes us down a rabbit trail. Again, we kind of ended up towards the end of this um, recording talking about it. So I think this is again, a good reason for us to get together with, with Todd. But it's like, you know, kind of goes back to the paramedic sales analogy that, you know, your sales manager was talking about. And it's, I think to the question that I have is if we were to form a sales and marketing team inside of a company and Mm -hmm. we had them both be on the same page, I don't think it's as simple as saying, okay, everyone's a marketer and everyone's a salesperson. We're all just blended. It's, I don't think it's that extreme. But it's also mm-hmm. not separate. So how do we how do we create a team that's a hybrid approach where um, maybe it's I mean I guess what I'm saying is you're the guy who is hiring you made it clear to you and I agree that look you're already selling 
So if I, mm. if I take that analogy and apply it to a marketer and say, hey, marketers on our team, we're going to want, you're already selling in your life and we can explain to you how that works. We, we're going to want you to participate in sales at a certain level. Well, yeah, I mean, that's going to be difficult at some level to get them to think of themselves as any degree of a salesperson. And yeah, I think likewise on the, on the sales side, if you take someone who's a sales person, again, I think that some people are much more oriented to sales than others, but you know, you take someone maybe not on that far into the spectrum, who's just like a hunter and wants to just make a million dollars a year and sell whatever it takes to do it. But like on the further, on the further end where you're saying, okay, you're mm -hmm. not a marketer, but you kind of need to understand what we're doing with marketing and how that really matters <coughs> to what you're doing on the sales side. Yeah. What does that look like? And, and how does that operate on a day to day? And I think it's going to be different from industry to industry and size of company and size of team and all that. But then how do you define those roles? You know, because it comes yeah. back to hiring and okay, we're hiring you to be our, you know, person. <laughs> And what do you call yeah. that? Because people are, are defined by their role, their title as well. Yeah, that's a <clears throat> an interesting thing. You know, the only thing close to that that probably all of us have experienced, and I saw it a lot when I was in industry, you know, the common term is like account-based selling yeah. where you have account teams, an expert, you yeah. know, you bring your person that 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 does those things. Um, I think that's that's a the only thing that resembles it right now. And, but, you yeah. know, if you're in of one and you have to do a lot of different things, yeah. you know, back to the EMS analogy, you know, I may have to enter a burning building to use my medical skills. Right. So I have to be able to do both. Right. And, and I have to be right. Able to do that. The thing that you just raised, that's a bigger issue and not to go into the academic side mm -hmm. of stuff, but you use the word role. Right. And when you bring somebody in and they do it, there is a thing that's, that's very, profound and it's called role ambiguity. Yeah. And if you talk to your experts in any of us, you don't even need to be, I mean, just somebody that's in a company doing business. If they're, if one's role is ambiguous, um, in other words, it's always changing or, you know, you, you brought me on the team to be a first baseman. And now I came in today and you put me in center field, or you brought me on to be what, and now you brought me in to do this. And um, just for two seconds, mm -hmm. an analogy that I that might get to what you're talking about. It doesn't answer it, but it's an analogy to it that I think makes a lot of sense to me is it's a sports analogy, but think of like a baseball team, or I used to play a lot of tournament softball back in the day. So yeah. we'll, maybe we'll use softball. Yeah. Um, and I was a pitcher. So if you asked me, what is your, what are you on the team? What's your position? What do you do? Well, I'm the pitcher. Right. Okay. So Everyone if you were asking that question of some, yeah, of somebody in a company, they would say, well, I'm in marketing or I'm in finance mm -hmm. or whatever it is that I'm doing. But to use the analogy of a tournament softball team, what do I do as a pitcher when that's my defined role? And let's say there's a left-handed batter, if you could imagine, and they hit a really strong rip a ground ball between first and second base, mm -hmm. right? Follow the thought. Sure. First baseman dives for it. Second baseman dives for it. Let's say first baseman makes the play laid out sideways and they're down on the ground, but they made the play. We now have a problem. That person that hit it, hit that hard ground ball is going as hard as they can down the first baseline. And the first baseman with the ball is laying on their side. Yes. We have a problem. So the question is who covers first base? Yes. And the, the, the answer without any hesitation is, well, the pitcher covers right, first. Right. But in a company, you know what my response would be? No, no, no. I'm, that's not my job. Yes. I'm the pitcher. 
That's a great analogy. I'm the pitcher. But if you think about it, I'm that is my role. Mm-hmm. But based on the context or situation, all of that can be gotten rid of, of all these mm-hmm. roles, if all we do is focus on what I call the main thing. Mm-hmm. So if you ask the softball tournament player people, what's your main thing? Score more runs and prevent them from making runs. Mm-hmm. That's it. So once the ball hits and makes contact, all of a sudden I serve my role as a pitcher, but I see a need and I don't even hesitate. I run and cover first base. Right. You know, and that's that's a similar analogy that we had in medical in EMS. If I respond to a call and I have cross training in fire and medical and there's a medical emergency, while I may be wearing my fire bunker gear, I'm going to start an IV or intubate or do something. Right. I don't say, no, I'm the firefighter. You know, I only do. So in business, I've always thought of that to say, yeah. OK, how do we how do we just make that common without even having to think about it? Yeah. Like athletes do like EMS people. And I'm sure there's a lot of other analogies that I'm not familiar with. But that's what I'm talking I like about. That. I like that. A lot. You know what I mean? So yeah. that role ambiguity becomes a problem when we hire people and we say, here's a job description. Here's what it is. That's very important. I'm not a human resource right. expert, although I've you know, been at it for a little while. But when you think in terms of here goes a hard ground ball or here go, and think of it even further, Lee, that hard ground ball goes to between the first and second. Yeah. It's not just the pitcher that runs over there to first yeah. all everybody else on the field is doing something that's right the infielders are breaking in yep. if, if the pitcher runs over the catcher runs down to back up the throw mm-hmm. now home plate's open the third baseman runs open mm-hmm. to cover home yep. the left fielder runs in to cover and it all happens at the crack of the bat yeah so i don't know how to make that happen but my vision of that is boy that would be a highly efficient company you know, if we thought like a, a softball you're team. You're holding high this idea of teamwork. And um, what it makes me think of is uh, Jocko Willing's um, cover, yeah. cover and move, right? Uh, yeah. That's his uh, leadership tactic. Um, one of the tactics, like a part of his six sort of principle that he teaches. And um, it's it's that you're the pitcher. And so if someone asks you what you do, you know, the, to extrapolate the analogy you're, or to bridge it, you're a salesperson. You know, I'm a salesperson, but what I'm not also telling you is that I also do all these other things when it's required yeah. of me. Um, and that naturally, I think, has to happen in a small, small company because it's yeah. just, you know, the owner and some of the initial employees. And as they grow and they're starting to form their team around their pattern of growth, and a lot of times they're you know, not taking investment. They're just growing off a of cash flow or, you know, bootstrapping yeah. it or whatever they may be doing. Um, I think it, it matters to think about things in maybe sort of tweaked traditional roles, uh, titles, but thinking about things more in that cover and move pattern, like you're talking about where, yeah. you know, here's, here's, here are the functions that will, you know, exist around a certain particular role but here's the Venn diagram as to how they all fit together. And, yeah. and, but what takes is intentionality about a company knowing, you know, where it's headed. Right. Uh, because if, if the baseball team is trying to win games, they're trying to, you know, send people home so they can have runs. Well, for a company, it's revenue. So if marketing and sales are all, both rowing in the same direction for revenue and that's how they're measured, then yes, I'm a, you know, I'm the content marketing manager. I'm the, inbound sales 
you know, mm -hmm. person, uh, director, whatever the title may be. But when you look at our Venn diagram of roles, I, I fully understand what the content person does, even though I'm in sales and I, and they understand what I do. And we're talking back and forth, if not on a weekly basis, more often or, or you know, biweekly basis yeah. about everything that's happening in our role. So really almost to, and I've, I've used this analogy before, like with Chick-fil-A, like if I walk in and someone's going to take my order, most everybody there would know how to take an order, right? At yeah. minimum, because they want the dollars to keep coming in, yeah. you know? So it, and it, that's sort of like that too, where if I, I'm a salesperson, but if I needed to sort of pick up the bag of the inbound marketer for a day or a week, because there something happened, maybe I could. Maybe it'd be awkward. Yeah. But at least I know. I, I would argue you you should be able to do that to you know to to at least a some level of operational function. Yeah. 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 So yeah. well, I think what we've done here is we've set the rocket. <laughs> we the rockets on the launch pad, and we are ready to light the boosters. Um, and right. so we just got to get Todd in here. And 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 I, I want to do a little bit more research on my side so we I can be you know armed with some new ideas for us to consider, but I think we should have a round table on this and, and, and That'd be fun. I think it's, yeah. it's timely, you know, I think it's something that uh, the young students need to know about, but I also think that, you know, qualified professionals that are square in their role right now on all levels are, are yeah. trying to figure out how do we all work? How do we all uh, row in the same direction towards revenue? So, so I think it's a, it's a very interesting conversation that people are having today. Um, but, yeah, no doubt. Hey, so before we go, because we're gonna wrap up here, uh, okay. I I want to ask you, as I ask all my guests, some resources that you may have. Um, where do you go? Like, what are some books you've read, podcasts you listen to, you know, people that you admire that you know you draw on when you think about growth for a company? Yeah. So I'm a I'm a I love books. I'm a old school kind of you know yeah. book person. On occasion, will listen to podcasts, but I I probably wouldn't call out a hey, this is my go to yeah. in that area. But more so than any of those resources, my go to is always the people that I've seen in action that I can pull from. If that makes sense. So I read everything I can read. So I don't know that there's a good one or a bad one. That was one of the values, by the way, of being like a ninety percent travel. There was always a bookstore in an airport yeah, yeah. and it's the best thing you could throw in your, you know, my yes. boss used to always say it's the best $20 you'll ever spend, especially the junkie books are the ones that you're not going to get anything from. Yeah, well, it helps you lay down your grid system of the stuff you don't want to yeah. do. Well, you know? especially pre-internet days, right? Yeah, you're on yeah. a plane. There's nothing else yeah. to do but to read a book or talk to the person next to you. Yeah. Oh, I thought I arrived when my wife purchased a Kindle for me back in those <laughs> days and I put everything I owned on the Kindle. Yeah. That was cutting edge. Um, so, but to answer your question, I, you mentioned Todd Hockenberry, yeah. um, I, yourself, I think of my, my previous mentors from industry before there is nothing more valuable than your network. That's right. And there's nothing more valuable than honestly, that phone call and to continue that old school network of, Hey, what's going on and doing it. So sales were taught about networking, marketing as well. So I would say, you know, what do you go to? What is it? I go to my network. Okay. And that is my building relationships with companies, different things, and keeping that real kind of vibrant, valuable relationship going. Because here's what I figured out. I, you, all the degrees, that's great. Yeah. Wonderful accomplishments, all of that kind of stuff. But there's probably somebody out there that's maybe figured it out or has some type of 
interesting approach mm-hmm. to it that could launch your thinking into the next thing that's out there. I like it. So if you need to get that as a resource through some books or podcasts or different things like this, where there's experts sharing ideas, I'm all for it. I like the picking up the phone call to a personal network and say, here's what I'm dealing with. If you were still there, what would you do? And I'm just starting to lay down. I, I just remember you lay down kind of that, you know, it's like the the screen that you put out on your patio. Yes. You buy the tighter screen so the smaller bugs can't yes. get through. Yes, I'm just trying to lay that tight screen down yeah. like so the little small bugs don't get through. And that's what I do. If I, something gets through, I make a phone call. Yeah. I'll say, hey, Todd or hey, Lee or you know, yeah. my old mentor, his name is John Adams. So not the John Adams. Wow. I'm not that I'm old. But say that. His name <laughs> is John. Yeah, John Adams. And uh, he's an amazing. Yeah. 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 That's what I, it's people for me. I love it. All right. My last question for you. Um, if you were in front of, and I know you're in front of a lot of CEOs, owners um, of small growing companies, if you could change their mind about anything, what would it be? And, and it doesn't have to be marketing, sales, what we talked about. It could be anything. To change their mind about anything? Yep. Um, the thing that, that's a great question. The thing that initially comes into my mind is that we sometimes get so married to what we believe is the way to go mm-hmm. that we can't dissociate from it. You may even think of it as some people may refer to it as founder syndrome or, you know, you're so close, you're just not going to let go of the vehicle as it goes off the cliff because you're just, you're so close to it. So there, that's, I've discovered that to be very real is that there are, and especially, you know, what's made me form this thought, Lee, that's for, to your question is the last eight, nine, whatever, 10 years in academia Mm -hmm. to realize that especially these young, bright minds that are out there, they think of some stuff that's just amazing. It really is. And I learned that on this, you know, on every trip I go, you get in a van for seven hours with some really bright people, young people. I'm like writing down notes all the time. I'm like that. How did you, where did that come from? You know, and and it's the conversation. It's not the technology piece necessary. So, so that's what I've learned is, you know, open your blinders up a little bit. You may have found the company, you may have done these things and we may have seen it, but you got to take a breath and, and just be open to asking those questions and taking the feedback and being able to do it. And what's the old story from years ago, my grandmother used to always cook a roast, but first she cut the ends off. You know, that story that we've all heard and you've never heard that. Yeah. So family recipe of preparing a pot roast, I think. Okay. And it was, you know, the first thing you do is you cut the ends off, you season it, you do all this. So it's been handed down. And well, what's the purpose for cutting the ends off? So they kind of started going back up the, yeah. the generational tree. And I think they got to the great, great grandmother or something as the story goes. And they asked her, she was still alive. Yeah. And I think she said, well, I only had one pot yeah. and I could never get the roast to fit in it, it. So I had to I cut it off. Just right. Utility. Yeah, that's a, I don't that's been around for a long time and yeah. I remember that story and there's versions of it but in a practical sense you know what I've noticed when I work with companies I don't have all the answers but sometimes what I'm doing is asking questions mm-hmm. why mm-hmm. you know like the 5 year old why well why are you going to mow your grass well why do you need to mow the yard yeah. well why after about 6 times yes. I'm going I don't want a letter from the homeowners association <laughs> you know they they actually get to the root yeah. of what it is and I see that as myself as a senior level person in a company to be be a little bit more open these days about, hey, somebody may have an idea, even though they don't have 10 years experience, five years experience, whatever, they bring something to the game 
thoughtfully that it has elevates not your idea. It elevates yeah. the way you think. It's not, it may not replace yeah. what you think. Sometimes it will, but I, I like how you're saying it because it really is like elevating how you're already thinking. It, yep. It may not, I may not even do what they brought up, but they brought that up, which yes. made me think of this, yes. which made me think of that. Now we got, okay, here we go. And, and that I think is the way I see a lot of just, nope, this is the way it is. I founded it. We're doing it, you know, mm-hmm. and I see a lot of that. Mm-hmm. And no, I, I've not founded my own company, so I can't speak to yeah, that. Sure. But I, I see a common theme there that when they do relax the reins a little bit and, and do it, you know, that, that's what they see. And I, and again, I think of all these stories. I'm an imagery kind of person when I think, and I don't know who said it. I need to probably be better at quoting these folks. But I remember being told it's easier to pull back the reins on a racehorse than it is to spur or kick a donkey, yeah, <laughs> you know? <really> so <laughs> give me one of these bright, forward thinking, just random thought kind of racehorse people. Yeah. Cause I can always tamp it back a little bit, but I, you know, it's kind of hard to ride a turtle anywhere <laughs> and, and get where you're going. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's gotta be yeah. a big one. To, if you want to do oh, you big want. turtle. Yeah. six ten three hundred. That's a turtle, oh, sea man. turtle, something. <laughs> well, listen, it's been great. And um, if anybody listening wants to reach out to you and just, you know, keep the conversation going, cause I'm sure there's going to be someone, where can they find you? Yeah, I think the best would be just my university emails. The best I've got several other places, but that's the best one. And um, at, it's my first initial, my first name. So J Riggs, J R I G G S at, and it's the university Stetson, Stetson university dot edu. Okay. That's the best just, way. And I'll, um, Stetson dot edu, not Stetson university dot edu. No, just Stetson. Yeah, so J Riggs at Stetson dot yeah. edu. And you okay. can look me up online. It'll pop straight up. Awesome. This has been really fun as I knew it would be. Um, and I'm really looking forward to doing it again. We're, we're coming up close to an hour here, which will okay. have, this will have been my longest uh, record so far. <laughs> sorry, I'm sorry. Uh, no, no, no. I mean, I could go for another hour. So, so no, I've, I've enjoyed it, but thanks a lot for being here and I'm definitely going to have you back. Thank you, Lee. I always appreciate it. You're, you're an absolute professional and anything you do, you touch turns to gold. So I hope we continue to work together. Thanks, John. Hey, I really appreciate you tuning into this episode of Exploring Growth. I'm trying to get this in the hands of as many growing businesses as possible so they can take this practical wisdom and deploy it in their companies or with their teams. If you're getting some value out of this show and know someone who should listen as well, would you consider sharing it with them or leave a positive review on the platform in which you're listening or watching? YouTube audience, leave a comment below with something you liked or your perspective on what we discussed. Um, I'm grateful for everyone that tunes in every week. Let's keep exploring.